You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, The Soul That Prospers. Enjoy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. Glory to your name. Hallelujah. Would you just praise him with me? Thank you, Father. You are good. You are the reason for the party. Hallelujah. You are the name above all names, and we magnify your name. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you made all the difference. You have made every difference in our lives, Lord. Oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, you're faithful, God. Your word is true. Your promises are yes and amen to us in Christ Jesus, and we thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord, for your presence, your goodness in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Good. That's perfect. Hallelujah. I, I, we are... It's a high-tech solution right here, yeah. <laughs> that is perfect. You are the handy man. The handy man. <laughs> Welcome back, you two. It's nice to have you back from Colorado. Yeah, so good. So good. Thank you, Joseph, for this invitation. Because I, as he said, he has watched me up close. And, uh, <laughs> and that is, you know, between a husband and wife, there's nothing hidden. And you have watched the good, the bad, and you have loved me well uh, with the word of God. And I'm thankful for that. So uh, I am special, too. <laughs> so thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Today I want to talk about the soul that prospers. You know, we've um, come through a week of, again, more news, of more tragedy in our nation, and uh, lots of discussion all over the place uh, that pops right up. And uh, as Joseph was ministering over the last two weeks, he came upon a scripture, and that was Colossians 3.15. We'll get to that in a minute. But as he said that scripture from the Amplified Bible, my spirit began to stir on the inside at a word in the Amplified Bible, and we'll see that in just a minute. But I knew two weeks ago that I wanted to talk on the subject of the soul. And here we are with a an event in our nation that impacts our soul, that touches our soul. And so I thought, God, you are so faithful. His word applies to every situation. It is the answer to every question we have. And uh, I want to look at 3 John 2. You got that, Eden? 3 John 2 is our main text today. It says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. And so the name of this message today is called The Soul That Prospers. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We give our attention to your word. We value your word. We put worth on your word, Lord God. We, we are seeking you. We're seeking your word. We open our heart to receive what you have to say to us today from your word. And as we've said already, your word is living, it's active, it's powerful, it's sharp, it's able to point out, to separate, to divide, 
to do the things inside of us that need to be done. And I pray, Father, this morning that your word would do its work in our hearts and in our souls, Lord God, and that you would bring light and um, and into our lives, Father, through your word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love what Joseph's been t- talking about, and it has really prompted me to want to make a reset in my own life. You said that two weeks ago or last week. We're pushing the reset button. That's just what I feel as a reset is happening. And we need a reset. Every We get tired. We get, you know, into the ho-hum, and we get settled in something. We need a reset. And it's God's word that activates a reset in our lives. We hear a revelation, and it produces in us a response. We get a revelation and a, a word revelation and a worship response comes out. And so he's been giving us a lot of uh, good revelation, a good stuff that's hitting the reset button in my life. And uh, he's been telling us to lead a spirit, to live a spirit-led life, Amen. not necessarily a purpose-driven life, but a spirit-led life. I think of the word driven, we're being pushed, you know, from behind, but led The Spirit of God goes before us and guides. It's different. I think it's the difference between missing the journey to reach the destination because I'm driven to get to the destination and just being led moment by moment and knowing how God is impacting and changing our day moment by moment. We get to value our lives when we are led. It's a moment by moment thing where we're appreciating every step, every decision, as opposed to being driven to the destination. So I'm thankful for that. He's also um, told us to perceive rather than to reason. Oh, was that a reset for me? (laughs) We need to perceive rather than to reason. And uh, I'm learning about myself, and I'll share some of that as we go on further. Let's take a look. Eden, if you would put up Colossians 3.15, that which Joseph had referenced the last couple of weeks. He says, he's telling us that God, where is the Spirit of God leading us? If we're going to follow him, where is he leading us? And he's uh, used this scripture in the last couple of weeks to tell us into peace, into a whole, complete, and prosperous life wholeness, completeness, prosperity is the definition of this word peace. And in particularly in the Amplified version, when I saw this, it, a little bell went off on the inside. And this is what it was. It said, and let the peace, soul harmony, which comes from Christ, rule and act as umpire continually in your hearts. Let the peace decide and settle with finality all questions that arise in your minds in that peaceful state to which as members of Christ's one body you were also called to live and be thankful appreciative giving praise to God always when I saw that word soul harmony (laughs) amplified Bible (laughs) I saw that soul harmony and it began to stir inside of me soul harmony and also deciding and settling with finality A soul and a mind, you know, the mind is part of the soul, can be a place where uh, there's a lot of deciding and a lot of unsettledness if we are not uh, seeking the peace which we've been called to. So these ideas of soul harmony and a, a final 
a settling, a decision that's final, no more talking about it, no more questioning about it. Apply the word of God to it. These are the things that were stirring inside of me. And I said, we need to talk about the soul. We need to talk about the soul. Hallelujah. So uh, this applies to our entire being, this piece. And we have learned from the scripture that there are three parts to our being. And we, last quarter in our get-togethers, had such a wonderful time studying the spirit, soul, and body that Debbie and Dennis hosted at their house. And boy, did we enjoy ourselves there. And talk about revelation. We were coming awake there, too. And God, isn't he faithful? The spirit of God. We are going, truly, from glory to glory to glory, from faith to faith, from strength to strength. When, and I encourage you not to miss these things. It's not just a reason to get together, although we need that, too. But there, God is building things in us. Every study, every word, every message, every prayer. It's, and, and, and it's important that we realize the value of what God is doing. He really is with us, and he really is teaching us and changing us. But this entire being consists of three parts. We know it as told in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, In the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is how we know that we're a three-part being because 1 Thessalonians 5.23 indicates that the whole of us includes the spirit, the soul, and the body. Well, I began to think about this. I know my spirit has been born again, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 lets us know that all things are passed away. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. My spirit is made new. I'm born again, Amen. right? I've now been born of heaven. I've been born of God. And so I am, know that my spirit is made new. My spirit is born again. And Joseph so faithfully and so consistently teaches us that the word of God and our salvation applies to our body as we just took authority this morning and took authority over our bodies and said that by the stripes that wounded Jesus, we have been healed. He bore our infirmities, right? He took our sicknesses. Hallelujah. So we are, he's faithful to remind us of these promises concerning our body. So I thought to myself, what about my soul? What about my soul? We know, and we've been taught <laughs> right quick, that as soon as we know that our spirit is born again, right behind it comes the reminder that, yes, but your soul and your body have not been born again. <laughs> and so what do we do with these? Well, as I said, Joseph's faithfully instructing us and encouraging us to speak the word of God and the salvation and the health that God has provided, the peace, the wholeness that God has provided, let's apply it to our body. And so I began to think to myself, do we apply it to our soul? Do we apply it to our soul? How quickly can I recite a soul scripture? Hmm. Can I come up with a soul scripture? How ready on the top of my mind or in my heart and on my mouth are verses concerning the... the um, wholeness, the completeness of my soul, the peace of my soul. I was challenged. You know, on Facebook or on Instagram, we see all these memes all day long, every week, everywhere. Yay, right? Kids know. Uh, <laughs> and we see all these kitschy little psychological phrases that pertain to our soul. I think most of Facebook is, well, I know it is. It's soulish. It's soulish, soulish, soulish. 
Uh, it's not necessarily information for your mind because we don't know that it's accurate, most of it. Uh, there's some scripture on there, I think so, but in abundance, it's mostly a soulish kind of a place. What am I talking about? The soul is made up of three parts. Also, we've learned this before from our study in spirit, soul, and body. The soul is made up of the mind, where we think, where we reason, where we put our ideas together. And then uh, the emotions, the way that we feel, our personality, what makes us us. Some of us cry at the drop of a hat. Others of us rarely cry at all. But those are, those are our emotions. That's our personality. It's who we are. And then our will, how we decide things in our lives, what we decide we will do and what we won't do. These all come from the soul. Well, we know, and that's why I say uh, Facebook tends to be a soul, soulish place, and we need to recognize that. It's important to identify that. And we got all these kitschy little psychological phrases on there. We know these oftentimes better than we know scriptures pertaining to the soul. So if I say to you, what doesn't kill you makes you, you know it. You know that phrase. But is that scripturally based? I never really thought of it, did I? Or we just say it, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Or we can say, time heals all is that scripture or is that just a phrase that we toss out and how how often do we toss out these little psychological phrases more often than we after actually offer the word of god pertaining to the souls of people people need to hear the word of god from us concerning their souls their minds their wills and their emotions if i can say laughter is the best well, there is a scripture, <laughs> and we know that there's a scripture that's similar to that, so that's okay. How about sticks and stones? But so don't worry, whatever they say to you, don't let it, don't, come on, that's just not real at all. It hurts, right? And how about, this is my favorite, it's a little funny, and I think it's newer. It's not really uh, one, but whenever somebody's hair is like, you know, and they're like, you're pulling their hair out and they're crazy. People will say, come on, just remember, stress spelled backwards is desserts. Ryan knows it. <laughs> That's kind of a newer one, but it's like, if you feel stressed and crazy, just eat a piece of cake. <laughs> no, Corinne, no, no, right? <laughs> so, you know, we offer these kinds of things to people, but we need to have the word of God in our hearts concerning the souls of people. People need the gospel applied to their souls that their soul may prosper. Remember our key verse? Remember, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. People need the gospel. We need the gospel applied to our souls that we may prosper. Here are some evidences that a soul is not prospering, and we see them every day. We see hatred between husbands and wives. We see hatred between parents and children. We hear threats breathed against, against parents by their children. We hear cursing regularly. We hear people becoming upset and passionate and right out their mouth. Curse, it's just as easy as anything. It just flies right out. Violence, we witnessed it again this past weekend. Violence is happening in the world. This is an indicator that the soul is sick and in need of the gospel. Hopelessness, 
people who just go from day to day and don't know that there's anything beyond what their day-to-day experience is. We need to offer something both first to us, and I always say this, if we're not going to read the Bible for ourselves, at least read it for somebody else, (laughs) right? But it doesn't work that way, you know. We read the Word, and it helps us, right? But if you, you, if you uh, see all of this around you, you want to make a change in what you see in your circumstances, we need to apply the word of God, and we need to know what it says concerning the soul. So I looked up prosper. What does prosper mean? Prosper means to succeed, to grow, and to progress. So many times we are accused as believers as relegating the word prosper to financial things. And yes, we always say it does include financial things. We do want to succeed, to grow, and to progress in our finances. But prospering is a whole person, a whole, a soul harmony. It's everything. It's every part, our soul, our spirit, our body. We want to prosper in all of these things, as our key scripture says. So let's plug that in. Uh, Eden, do you have 3 John 2 in the Amplified Bible? Or did I not give you that? I don't think I did. But let's go back to 3 John 2 real quick. And we're going to plug that in, that definition of prosper. Joseph does this all the time for us. So you're going to go back to 3 John 2. Sorry, honey. There it is, our key scripture. Beloved, I pray that you may succeed, that you may grow, that you may progress in every way, and that your body may keep well, even as I know your soul keeps well and grows, and succeeds, and progresses, all right? So that kind of gets our head out of the one definition or the one perspective, and it starts us to think, wow, our soul can succeed. Our soul can grow. Our soul can progress. Our soul can prosper. And we note here in this that what's the key to our every way? Do you see that amplified? I may prosper in every way. We want every way progress. We want every way success. We want every way growing. So the key to our every way prospering and our bodies being well is that our soul first succeed. Our soul first grows. Our soul first progresses. And then the other things are linked to it, right? Because it says even as. So the key is, can I succeed in my soul? Can I grow my soul? Can I progress in my soul? Then the rest of me will follow, all right? So I want to look at uh, the Psalms today. And I thought, boy, it's been a long time. I haven't looked at the Psalms in a study in a long time. But that's where we're going to go today. And I want to say, uh, start with Psalm 66, 16. It says, come and hear, all ye that fear the Lord, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to find out what has he done for my soul. And so we're going to keep it in the book of Psalms. We don't have to do that. The, the soul is referenced, as we already saw in the New Testament, as well as the Old. But David, as we know, is a man who is known to express he's a songwriter he's a musician and he has expressions all throughout the psalms the psalms are a book of songs and so david isn't the author of every one of these psalms there are other songwriters that are included in the book of psalms but we're going to take a look strictly at the book of psalms this morning to find out 
what he has done for my soul. Hallelujah. Good. So there are four things that we're going to look at, and I don't know if we'll hit it all today, but uh, we're heading in a direction where we're going to hit four things. The soul can be acted upon by other people. We know that, right? The soul also can be acted on, uh, or, or I'm sorry, uh, the soul also can just be. It just sometimes is for no reason, for no understanding. You just wake up some morning and you just feel some way. There's no discernible reason why I feel this way. I, it just is. So, so the soul can be acted upon by others. The soul can sometimes just be like it is. The soul also can be acted upon by God, and the soul can be acted upon by me, the owner of the soul. <laughs> okay? So we're going to talk about this from those uh, four different perspectives. So people can do harm to our souls. We like to say, and this is one of those kitschy psychological phrases that we like to pass around that, well, you know, people can only hurt you if you, okay, now that's another one. We say that, but uh, let me say this. We cannot prevent other people acting wrongly against our soul, and we will see that in the Psalms. There are people who have a bent or an intention to do harm against your soul. You cannot prevent that. You can't say, well, they can't hurt you if you don't let them. They can hurt you, and we need to understand that. So there's nothing wrong in as saying, I was hurt, okay? The thing that is better to say is that our response to that hurt determines whether that hurt stays with us or whether it goes from us, okay? So don't say anymore, hey, they can only hurt you if you let them. No, they've hurt them. <laughs> they've been hurt. And the Psalms will look at that and will show that. But what we can say to them is that your response to that hurt will determine whether that hurt stays with you or whether that hurt goes. So let's look at Psalm 7 too. And I've asked Eden to highlight in the scripture the the word that shows the action by others on our soul. So this says tear. Others can tear or rent our soul. It says, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. So your soul, the scripture is indicating, can be torn or rent. The next one, 7.5, says lest, it should say lest the enemy lest the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. So people can act upon your soul to persecute your soul. And remember, all the while, we're talking about your mind, your will, and your emotions. Okay? What else does the Bible say in Psalm 11:5? It says, The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence his soul hateth. People can hate your soul. <laughs> they can hate your emotions. They can hate your joy. They can hate your, your pleasantness. They can hate your reasoning. They can hate your intellect. There's, no, uh, there's nothing that says that they can't do that if you don't let them. They just do, okay? Um, Psalm 35, 7 says, for without cause they have hid me, hid for me their net in a pit, with, which without cause they have digged for my soul. So they've dug a pit. They're trying to trap. But people will dig, will hunt 
for your soul. There are people who play games. It's not, uh, I didn't know this. I had to learn this the hard way. <laughs> when I was a little girl, uh, I grew up in the church. I was a good student. My parents loved me, and I didn't know that I would even ever have an enemy in my whole life because I just thought everything was just so good. I knew about God. I was in the church. and But there's a time that comes when you realize um, some sooner than others, that there are people who are digging and hunting for you. They're looking to hurt you. They're looking to destroy you. Uh, the Bible also tells us in 35, Psalm 35, 12, they rewarded me evil for good. <laughs> Again, I didn't expect that. I didn't know that. I thought, well, I'm a good kid. I get I, People will be nice to me. No, they reward me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. And that doesn't mean spoiling like a grandparent does a grandchild. That means ruining, like meat sitting out on the counter gets spoiled. You've ruined it. It's spoiled. My soul has been spoiled. Uh, Psalm 109.20 says that our, so, our soul can be spoken evil against. Okay? People can speak against your soul. Uh, the next one, Psalm 109, 31, says, For he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those that condemn his soul. Well, praise God, this is a promise for us. Do you see that? He'll stand, who? God stands at the right hand of the poor to save him from those that condemn his soul. And uh, there is, uh, condemn, condemn means to pass judgment, to say that there's no hope for you. There's nothing I can do for you. Uh, you. I'm condemning your soul. There's nothing that can that I can do to help you. So you're left abandoned, condemned in this situation. Also, the soul can be uncared for in Psalm 142.4. The scripture says, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I was uncared for. There are people... And it's sad to know, but they exist who no one cares for them. There's no care expressed toward the soul of these people. And they, we can see them in society often. How about afflicted is the next one. Psalm 143, 12. And of thy mercy cut off mine enemies and destroy all them that afflict my soul. For I am thy servant. So people can do harm. Afflict just means to do harm. So remember what I said. It's not that we can... This won't happen to us if we don't let them. It does happen to us, okay? It does happen to us. We can be persecuted. We can be spoken evil against. We can be uncared for, and people can afflict our soul, hunt for them, persecute it, and speak against us. These things do happen, but remember, it's our response to these things that decides if my soul will prosper, if it will succeed, if it will grow, if it will progress from here. This is my response. So what do you think the quickest way to prosper in your soul is to forgive? The quickest way to prosper is to forgive. All right? The opposite of forgiving is to take offense or to hold on to offense. And we know that the Bible says that love takes no record or makes no record of wrong. Love is not easily offended, some, some translations say. Love is not easily offended. So the quickest way for your soul to prosper is for you to forgive quick, fast, and not to hold on to offense. 
I want to make an analogy, like uh, a fence, like a, like, a par- like a guest at your party. You have a party, you plan a party, you send out an invitation, and you say, come on, everybody, I'm having a party. A fence is like a bad party guest, all right? <laughs> all right? You, send out, you roll out the red carpet, and you invite in a fence. You're in for a long, disappointing, destructive experience, all right? So just like you would invite somebody to come over, realize that when you hold on to a fence, it's like inviting someone over to come and hang out, okay? You can't welcome a fence and nurse it and cater to it and give it all the food it wants and give it all the drinks it wants and give it company. You can't welcome it, nurse it, cater it, and then wants a bouncer to come later and get him out of here. It doesn't work that way. You invited him. You invited him. I know that you didn't invite the persecution. I know you didn't invite the words spoken against you. I know you didn't invite the hate. But you can. It's your response to shut the door on offense or to invite offense. So we can't, we can't nurse it, show it a good time, and then after we get tired because we're all worn out from nursing this offense, we can't just ask somebody to come and take it away. If you are going to be offended, you have to repent of offense. You cannot be delivered from offense. You hear me? (laughs) You cannot be delivered from offense. And you may be worn out because you have taken offense. These things hurt. There's no denying that. These things that others have done upon our soul, they hurt. They hurt. But if I welcome in offense, I'm asking for a long stay that is going to cause more wreck, says, right? It says, maybe you don't know, I wrote down, maybe you don't know how much offense likes to eat your food and, and empty your refrigerator, drink your drinks, be too loud and wreck your house. You all know what a bad party guest is. Leave a mess. <laughs> they go home and you're like, man, they leave a mess. Offense comes at your own invitation. You cannot be delivered from it. You must repent and change your mind. The option is to forgive. Do you remember, uh, what did Jesus say about Mary who poured the oil, the anointing oil on the feet of Jesus? He said, those who are forgiven much love much. So we understand forgiveness is the option for us. Offense is not an option. Love does not keep record of wrong. Love is not easily offended. And because God dwells inside of us, love dwells inside of us. Yeah. There's no room for offense. So we're talking about how the soul can be acted upon by others. But there's also good that people can do. Although there weren't as many instances in the Psalms of this, there are instances in the Bible where good can be done by others to a soul. Let's take a look at that. Psalm 54, 4. It says, Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. Oh, I like that. 
I thought about the times in my life where I had experienced hurt, and there were those who cared for, who upheld my soul. And guess what? There's a promise for them, or there's a reality, a truth for them. What's the truth for those of us who are upholding other people's soul? The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. Hallelujah. As we uphold others, the scripture says the Lord is with us. You know that you can love other people because God has loved you. Do you know that you can be for others, even those that hurt you, because God is for you? I'm not lacking. I'm not without. I'm not fearful that I'm not going to get mine. The Lord is with me, and I can uphold someone else, even when they've hurt me. Hallelujah. And then we said uh, at the beginning that sometimes the soul just is. Sometimes it just is, and we can't understand it. The Bible does tell us the heart is a deceitful thing. Who can understand it? It's deceitful above all else. It is funny in there. (laughs) Sometimes it can be funny. What is going on in there? And to be honest and to be truthful to you, I'm not always aware. I'm not paying attention. I just... Things happen, and I feel away, and I'm not paying attention that I feel away, but my family knows. <laughs> my family would say, Mom, are you okay? Oh, I guess maybe something is wrong. I, I tend to just live and feel, and, and I'm not always aware of, of what, I'm, what I'm feeling. I'm not always aware of why I feel the way I feel. Some of you are more practiced and can identify those kinds of things. I'm learning. I'm learning. Why? Why is it important for me to learn? Why do I have to learn to be aware of how I'm feeling and not just let my feelings happen? Yeah, what, we are to live and walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. And so I've got to be paying attention. <laughs> and when we talk about the flesh, we're talking about those, those reactions that come out of our soul. You know, if I'm walking in the flesh, I'm yelling at my husband. Or if I'm walking in the flesh, I'm, I'm holding a fence. I'm not forgiving. So that flesh that we're talking about is the ways and, uh, of the soul. And so we need to realize uh, when we're doing that so that we can submit it to the uh, authority of the Spirit of God. Joseph said we take authority of our bodies. We need to take authority over our souls. We need to take authority over our souls because they run wild like an undisciplined child. And they need to be taken authority over and submitted to the leading and the authority of the Spirit of God in our lives. So sometimes it just is, and we can't discern why we feel the way that we do. And let's just see what the Psalms say. What are some of these things that sometimes they just are? Psalm 6.3, my soul is also sore vexed. Vexed means to be irritated, agitated, annoyed. Uh, <laughs> we can be irritated, agitated, and annoyed. And sometimes we don't even know why. We just, uh, leave me alone, you know. Let me go hide in my bathroom. Don't, don't bother me or whatever. Just be annoyed. I don't know why. <laughs> but so a vex is, is to be annoyed, irritated, agitated, okay. Psalms 13.2 says that we can be sorrowed. We can, our soul can be sorrowed. How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Having sorrow in my heart daily. 
How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So we can sorrow for various reasons. 31.9, Psalm 31.9 says, Our souls can be consumed with grief. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I'm in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief. Yea, my soul and my belly. So we can be consumed where we just are tired. We're eaten up. We're worn out. We're done. We're done. We're consumed or grieved. Uh, Psalm 42.5 says, Disquieted, why are thou and cast down? Why are thou cast down, O my soul? With a, with a sad, if your soul could have a face, if your soul could have a persona like it does in that movie, Inside Out, which I haven't seen, but they personify every emotion. I, I haven't seen it yet, but the idea is that uh, every emotion has a face. Well, if our soul had a face, its face would be dejected, cast down. Disquieted. I can't be settled. Do you remember what Colossians 3.15 said, that it would settle and finalize, right, or, or answer and decide and settle things with all finality? So we know that the word of God can be applied to these things. We're seeing, oh, thank you, you're fast, kiddo. Deciding and settling with finality. Well, to be um, disquieted is, is to be unsettled, all right? Let's look at uh, Psalm 57, 6. It says, they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. In this instance, you think of someone who is burdened, who is, who is, uh, whose body, whose strength is expired, who may have been laboring or slaving, and their body is bowed down. Your soul can labor all day long, you need to quiet it. You need to put it to the quiet and the, the leadership of the Spirit of God. We can be exhausted, tired, worn out, and bowed down. Uh, the Psalms also says in 69.1, Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. Drowning, a feeling of suffocation, a feeling the waters are coming in on me, a feeling of suffocation. 77.2, says, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night, it ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. So here in this situation, comfort is available, but the soul refused it. The soul was so in its own world, so wrapped up in how it was feeling that it didn't even consider that comfort could be had. And there, you, this, is, this is a reality that David is talking about. So, again, I, we're not saying that this is acceptable. We're just admitting that these are things that we feel. Today in our culture, there's a lot of discussion after an event as such that we had that maybe there needs to be changes in uh, mental health. And maybe there does. I, I'm not an expert in that at all. But I do know this, that the church needs to apply the gospel to people's souls and that it's not necessarily always a mental, because the soul is comprised of the mind, the will, and the emotions. So the word of God is useful for every instruction, for every admonishment. And if we as the church can understand and not deny that people have these experiences that David said. David says, I know I've been in situations where pastors say, I just don't know what to do with you. I just don't know what the word says. They didn't have anything to offer and said, maybe you need something outside of the church. And maybe they do. 
But what I'm suggesting and what I felt in, on the inside in preparing this is that I, know, I need to know the word of God concerning the soul better. I need to get some, uh, some uh, knowledge on what God has done for my soul. And let's take a look again uh, at Psalm 88, 3. It says, My soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. Full of troubles. And this next one, uh, Psalm 94, 17. Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. I wanted to talk about this one and sit here for a little bit. I just loved what we focused on, Joseph. You had to sing it a couple of times this morning, extra. But Mariah, what is that word from beautiful name uh, that the grave has been silenced? Can you say that for me real quick, those lyrics? Death could not hold you, the veil torn before you, silenced the boast of sin and the grave, right? Jesus has silenced the boast of death. And these things, these feelings, these soul occurrences, if left unchecked, will lead you to destruction. But Jesus has silenced the boast of sin. Jesus has silenced the boast of death. There it is. Wow, you are a good girl. I don't even ask. Shoo-wee. <laughs> Thank you. That is good. But this silence um, in Psalm, it says that the, that the soul had almost dwelt in silence. When is someone completely silent? When they're sleeping or they're dead. <laughs> All right? That's about it. And for us ladies, you know, that's, that's <laughs> very few times, right? <laughs> we're either sleeping or we're dead if we're silent, right? I don't know. What's that? How many thousands of words that we say a day? Well, it's true. We're only silent if we're sleeping or we're dead, so... <laughs> <laughs> but this is talking about that I almost dwelt in silence, which I read that as I almost was dead in my soul. And I found an article, it's called Thoughts on Vegas. It was, came up this week, Thoughts on the Shooting in Vegas and Why Men Keep Doing This is the name of the article. So he presumes uh, that this is an act that is pri predominantly performed by men, uh, there aren't a lot of women shooters in history, but there are. Uh, so, so he presupposes in this title, Thoughts on Vegas and Why Men Keep Doing This. This author is Charlie Hohen. He's the author and a speaker to the Pentagon. So he regularly goes and makes presentation um, on mental health and such to uh, the Pentagon, to U.S. military bases and universities. And in this article, he suggests that men commit these shooting crimes because society has trained and conditioned men to be chronically lonely. That means there's no one for them to confide in. And if you get too, if you get too friendly with a guy, it's, you know, a little, they look at it a little funny. So this is the world. This is not the church, all right, what I'm talking about here, all right? So I want you to know what the church brings to your, you know, what God has designed for men. What the world is experiencing is not what the church is experiencing, all right? So we, I love our men, Chris. 
I, I appreciate Chris read some scripture for us. At, did, did he tell you, Teresa? And I pulled him aside. I said, you have a great reading voice, Chris. And he's quiet. Uh, <laughs> I know. And I, so then Joseph asked him to read a second verse, and I was like, yes. You can audio read the Bible to me any day, Chris. Really nice. But I love, I love the fellowship that the church provides for men. This isn't available for guys outside of the church. But here we have relationships available. But they're chronically lonely. No one to confide in. Deprived of healthy, rough and tumble play opportunity. Oftentimes recesses are now cut out. They're doing something else and school doesn't have recess. The guys aren't allowed to get rough and crazy with their other guys because that's just too loud and crazy. So he's suggesting that these things are needed to make an emotional connection. So when a dad and a son are wrestling together, they're creating a bond, an emotional connection there. Um, and that's something necessary that he is suggesting has been pulled out from society. Uh, deeply shamed is the third commonality, that they've felt ridiculed, they've felt humiliated, and they felt rejected. In his article, he cites a book written by James Gilligan. James Gilligan was a psychiatrist at Harvard Medical School in the 1970s. He wrote a book that was um, basically an analysis of Massachusetts prisons and mental health institutions. So he goes in, he interviews these guys in the prisons, he interviews guys in mental health hospitals, and he's interviewing them, and these are his notes from the book called You, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Number one, this is his quote, they would all say that they themselves had died, dwelt in silence, right? They all uh, would say that they themselves had died before they started killing others. That's what they said. They felt, in his quote, they felt dead inside. They had no capacity for feelings, no emotional feelings, not even physical feelings. They would harm themselves, hurt themselves, and not feel those things. They described themselves as having already died before they started shooting others. This is in a condition of a soul that needs the gospel. Uh, second, universal among the violent criminals was the fact that they were keeping a secret, dwelt in silence. What is this, sec this secret? It was a central secret. That secret was these men felt ashamed, deeply ashamed, chronically ashamed, acutely ashamed. Those were his notes. And I remember, as I read that, I thought of the importance. You know how the Bible tells us in Ephesians, it says, husbands, love your wives. And what do the wives need to do for the husbands? Respect, the scripture says. How vital. And let's not laugh that off or, or offer something else. I've seen more often than I like uh, out in public girls, and I, I'm guessing girlfriends and boyfriends, girlfriends ridiculing, shaming. I can take care of it. You know, or just yelling at their boyfriends in public and shaming them. And I want us to say again, this is the world's way, not the way of the church. Amen. All right, not the way of the church. Our men, you have the opportunity to, to relate, to have um, relationship around the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells inside of us, and we supply a measure of the Spirit one to another. You men have that available within the church. Rough and tumble play. 
we play football. What else do we do? We play crazy stuff. But get together and have some fun. Have some fun and do some games together. It's creating that emotional connection, a safe connection, that you're safe. <coughs> yeah, what are you doing over there? Some basketball? All right, Danny. <laughs> and shame. Jesus has taken away our shame. So, ladies, in the concern, and in this context to men, don't put it back on others. You know, when we're feeling bad, if we don't submit our soulish feelings to the Spirit of God and to the Word of God, we will inevitably end up putting off onto others what we are feeling ourselves. So we want to caution and be aware that in the time that I'm feeling stressed or I'm feeling hurt or I'm feeling confused, I'm feeling overwhelmed, that I close my mouth, that I wait on the Lord, that I submit myself to the Lord so that I don't wrongly uh, apply something to someone else. So we lift up our men, and we're grateful for our men. And we uh, count you as a blessing in our, our leaders, our examples. Thank you for washing us with the water of the word. Hallelujah. Psalm 106, let's look at that one lean and he gave them their request but this is God talking about the Israelites he gave them a request remember how they wanted to eat I don't know if you remember the story they were like come on we're so tired of this manna give us something different they're complaining you know we don't even know what this is give us something like we had onions and leeks come on we want something else and guess what he gave them their request and sent them quail but sent leanness into their soul. Well, they got what they wanted. They got what they asked for, and yet their soul was still lean and skinny. (laughs) And this leads me to say that if you think, if what you think is still needing you empty, you get it and it's still leaving you empty or lean, it's a sure sign that you've got the wrong source. You're looking for the wrong something from the wrong place. So if, you think, if, if what you think you need still leaves you empty, you're looking in the wrong place. You need to look somewhere else. Remember Jesus and the woman at the well? He said to her, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. She came to get water, but it was a water that still left her lean. She had to keep coming back. She had to keep uh, going for this water. She had to keep going to this well. If she wanted to be satisfied, this is where she had to go. Jesus said, if you knew who, you were, who was asking you for a cup of water, you would have asked me for some water. I would have given it to you, and you would never thirst again. Hallelujah. So check your source. If you're getting things that you thought you wanted and you're still lean, you're not drinking the right water. <laughs> you need to go find the water that comes from Jesus. And realize that you make yourself dependent to that other thing. If, if you need to be satisfied, you're going to keep going back there because you haven't found the right source. So ask God to show you how he is the source where you feel your need, where you know your need. Ask God to show you how do you meet this need? How do you meet this need? What does your word say concerning this need? And this is precisely what we're talking about. How can we apply the word of God to our souls? And we're going to end, um, there's lots of, I'm not going to go through them all, Eden, but you, your soul can be fainted, melted, broken, cleaving to the dust. You just cling to earthly things. You just are satisfied by earthly things. Again, another 
uh, wrong source, destitute or imprisoned. You can also feel good too in your soul. Uh, according to the Psalms, there are reasons again that we feel the way we do, but we're not always paying attention to that. You can feel satisfied. Can we pull up Psalm 63.5, Eden? This is a promise that comes from God. Some of these just describe the soul's condition, but some of these also have a promise attached to them. This one does. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, not lean, not still wanting, not still hungry. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Write that one down. That is a confession to make. This is one to have on your lips. Also, let's look at Psalm 139.14. Psalm 149. 14, we love this chapter. It talks about how we were formed in our mother's wombs. Before we were ever um, put together, God wrote down every one of our days in his book. He's ordained every one of them. He knit us together. This says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth. No, your soul can know stuff. And this in, in this instance, we know that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And I love when Joseph says, don't think that this is just a nice, fancy Hallmark card saying, this is truth. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Let your soul know that. Meditate on that. Let your soul dwell there. Meditate on the fact that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, that God himself knit me together in my mother's womb, that he counted me worth sending his son and having him be sacrificed on the cross, go to hell, so that I could belong to him. He counts us as valuable. And let our souls meditate on that. The soul can be acted on God, and we're going to finish with this one. We won't, we'll continue about what, how we can act upon our soul next week. But what has God done? And this is where the good stuff comes. So if you haven't written any of these references down, this is the time to do it. This is how the soul has been acted on by God. Now, David prayed and asked God, to move on his soul and he knew that God was the, why is he asking God to do it because God's the only one who could do it he's got some needs here and nobody else can satisfy though that you can be satisfied and still be lean the things of the world will not satisfy you the things counseling articles on Facebook little memes little little kitschy psychological sayings they will not satisfy you you'll be looking for another one and that's what we do don't we scroll scroll Skull. Is it what's next? Is there something else? Something else? What else? You got something else? The word of God is not to be scrolled through. We ought to sit in it and meditate on it and let it sink in there. We're not looking at it. We're not, what's there? What is there? We got it, and we're going to sit in it. We're going to dwell in it. We're going we're gonna to live in it. We're going to be filled up by it. So David prayed and asked God because only God can do these things. Let's look at Psalm 2520, Eden. It says that God is kept. You see that? Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. God keeps us and delivers us. 3517, God rescued us. Hallelujah. If you're running, writing these down, write them fast. <laughs> Rescue my soul from their destructions. All right, so God is the only one who can rescue your soul. And uh, Psalm 41.4, what else can he do? He can heal your soul. You have hurts, let him heal you. Let him heal you. Let him. Let him. You have to invite him. Stop scrolling. Let him in. Let him heal your soul. Psalm 86 2. 
He will preserve you. Of course, I think of canning because I'm in the season of apple butter where I'm making apple butter at home. Preserves. Preserve. Let him put the lid on your soul and let him keep it safe. Okay? Let him. How are we going to do that? By meditating on the word concerning his soul, concerning our soul. He can, he can preserve you. He can keep you protected and sealed away from these things. All right? Rejoice. I like this. Look, rejoice the soul of thy servant. He's, David is asking God to rejoice him. Do we ever use that word in that sense? Not really, but that's what God wants to do for you. He wants to rejoice your soul. So let him. Let him rejoice. You know, I get so, so sad when people confuse excitement and praise and worship for something like a response to the music. Yes, we've been given a soul, and we can respond. Let God rejoice you in praise and worship. Let him send joy to you. Let If you want to smile, let it out. Smile. Don't let some grumpy, proof-faced preacher tell you that you shouldn't be that expressive in praise and worship. Because you're that said the soul. Well, hallelujah, he wants to rejoice my soul. Hallelujah. He wants to rejoice my soul. My soul is not something to be put away or bad. God built it in us. We are a three-part person. He built it. He knit us together in our mother's womb, and I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Hallelujah. Yes. 86.4. Okay, we did that one. And 142.7. God can release you from prison. Hallelujah. I want to just quickly, um, what else? Oh, we're going to skip. I had something else to say, but I'll bring that up next week. Let's go. Um, sometimes we don't even ask. God is just good. How about that? <laughs> sometimes he just is good because he loves us and he wants to be good. God is good. <laughs> I'm telling you, people will argue about that. But I'm just telling you, sometimes he does these things for our soul just because he's good. And we're going to look at those last. Here they are, Psalm 19.7. Here's what he's done. David didn't even ask. It's, these are the promises right here. Psalm 19.7. Yes, the law of the Lord is perfect, converts the soul. He can change it. He can turn that thing right around. He can flip your joy or your sorrow into joy. He can do it. He can do it. You don't have to hang on to that. This is what he converts your soul. Hallelujah. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. Let's look at uh, this one. We all know Psalm 23, 3. The Lord is my shepherd. We all know that. What does he do? He restores my soul. Where I was lacking, he fills me up. Where I was needy, he satisfies. Hallelujah. Uh, Psalm 25, 13. His soul shall dwell at ease. Ha, 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 Anybody think of Pastor Joseph? It's easy. This life in the spirit is easy. Hallelujah. And why can he say that? Because he's got a verse right there that says it. His soul shall dwell at ease. This is just what God has done. And his seed shall inherit the earth. This is just what it is. This is what his kingdom is. It's easy. Hallelujah. Psalm 31, 7. Ah, I love this one paired with 
Psalm 139. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble, thou hast known my soul. You know there is nothing better than to know someone and to be known by that person. There's no greater intimacy than to know and be known. And you put those two together. This one says, you, God, you have known my soul. Even if everybody else says, I don't know what to do for you. God knows your soul. And he wants to rejoice your soul. And if God knows my soul, and I know full well that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, what a lovely thing. Nothing more beautiful than to be known, to know, and to be known. And you put these two together, and God's working on our soul. Just a few more. God has redeemed our soul. And for you, Sue, I'm glad you're here this morning, Psalm 94, 19. I love this. Sue is faithful. This is Sue's verse. And, and remember how I said, boy, I was challenged. Do I know a verse that, can, that applies to the soul? Sue got one. If you ask her, she is right on her tongue because she has this one at work. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. God just delights us. He, he rejoices us. He delights us. And we delight in him. He satisfies and fills. And the last verse, Eden, the one that I gave you, Psalm 138.3. I like this one. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothes... Oh, that's the other one. Oh, 138, verse 3. Thank you. In the day when I cried, thou answerest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. So all you have to do is ask. Ask him. Ask him and look at all these things. I'm just going to read them again in a list. He keeps us. He rescues us. He heals us. He preserves us and keeps us safe. He rejoices us. He releases us from prison. He converts. He flips it on its head. He'll flip it right on its head. He restores. He makes us dwell at ease. We are known by him. He redeems us. He delights us. He satisfies and fills us. He strengthens us with strength. Hallelujah. These things are what God desires for us, that we would come into a whole, a complete, a prosperous life. We can grow in these things. We can progress in these things. Don't think that because you're feeling something, this is just the way I am, and I'll just, you know, wait it out, or I just have to this is how I am no we can grow in these things our souls can progress our souls can prosper and we will be in health and prosper even as our soul prospers in Jesus name amen at Highway Church we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life he came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good he is.